All right, welcome to a new episode of our Sixers Weekly Show. We'll be focusing on all things Philly, going back, looking at how the Sixers did the previous week, and also talking about what's going on in the week to come. He's Paul Hedrick. I'm Jazz Kang. I look like I'm beaten down because I'll tell you I had a good Christmas. Paul, how was yours overall? It was good, man. Very low key. Just a uh, very, very uh, intimate family and just with the baby and stuff going on. We just kept it low key and it was still really nice, still really cool. Uh, good, good to see people. As I know, you, same thing. It was good for you to see some family and uh, catch up with people. So, well, I think for any of us in the world at this point, some sense of normalcy is a good thing. And, and I honestly, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I was telling myself, and this is obviously coming from somebody who has zero medical expertise at all. I was like, well, you know, maybe about two or three, four months. It's like, now we're going on about 24 now. So shows what I know about it. Was Santa good to you? Did you get anything worthwhile from him or did you get the lump of coal as usual? Uh, I will say, I will say this. Uh, so my, I have an uh, amazing family. I have an awesome older sister who already has two boys and she got us the parents uh, little kit. So she got my fiance carry a, a very nice bottle of wine and she got uh, me a very large bag of coffee. Okay. <laughs> uh, good so that's like the perfect and then she also gave us a gift card for a restaurant that's by her house so that was like a hey go get we'll babysit go get dinner so like she my sister was was our santa claus this year she really hooked us up all right well there you go it's good to hear you're gonna need plenty of coffee now with the newborn too paul so yes. yeah maybe she's hooking you up with a good thing there uh let's jump back into some basketball talk the sixers <laughs> got a pretty easy 117 96 win over the wizards on sunday I mean, they were missing some of their key guys. Bradley Beal, obviously, being the figurehead of all that uh, due to the protocol stuff. Watching this game, though, we saw Joel Embiid once again just impose his will on the Wizards. 36 points, 13 rebounds. Also got into a little scuffle with Montrez Harrell, which resulted in Harrell being kicked out of the game. But when you're watching this, Paul, when do you think the Sixers are going to be able to find any sort of consistency? And again, we're seeing this happen around the league that you know guys are testing positive left, right, and center. Whether they're symptomatic or not, that's a topic for another day. But you're looking at this. Okay, we've seen you know a three-game win streak followed by a three-game losing streak. Now we've seen a win, a loss, and a win again. Do you think the Sixers, because and again, I don't, I'm not downplaying the health side of it, but when you look at the fact that the Sixers have already dealt with so many positive tests in terms of the the, the health and safety protocols, do you think they'll be at a point now where they might be able to get a run going, where some of these other teams, like you know Brooklyn's now dealing without Kevin Garnett, how do you how do you think the Sixers are going to be able to get back on track? to at least get some wins racked up and, and maybe make a move up the standings as we get into the new year and beyond. Well, you saw, you know, two of the guys who had a, a bigger contribution, I mean, you know, on the smaller side, but had contributions, Furkan Korkmaz, George Niang, his first game back uh, from, from the COVID protocol. So, yeah, I, I think it's an excellent point that the Sixers kind of had their spurt, right? When, you know, when Embiid, Tobias Harris, both went out uh, along with Matisse Stiebel and, and Isaiah Joe, that, that wave was their kind of quote unquote bad wave. Right. And then last year, Seth Carey already went through it last year. His coat back with COVID was really rough last season. Tyrese Maxey already went through it before training camp last year. So in a weird way, yeah, they kind of are set up better than perhaps some other teams because their guys have already had it. So, so they're in a pretty good place. Um, and I thought that the Washington win, the game, it sort of kind of reminded me of, if you remember, Jazz, it was the second game against the Bulls in Chicago when they mm -hmm. won. And that was kind of Joel Embiid's like first big offensive game of the season. And then the other pieces were still very good. So I think this, that win, it, it was a, it was a, 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 a more decisive win. They, they, you know, they, they just totally blew Washington's doors off in the third quarter and just took the game over. But 
it reminded me of that game in that Joel Embiid was great and the other guys just did their part. Like Tobias Harris was solid. He he wasn't spectacular, but he was good. He, and you don't that's a thing. And I think we we talked about this last time. We don't you don't need Tobias Harris to be necessarily the guy he was last year. Last year he was a borderline all-star. I don't think you need him to be that this year. If he is just good, I mean, don't get me wrong, they, they would gladly take the, the, the borderline all-star version. But if he is just good with the way that Joel Embiid is playing, with the way that Steph, uh, uh, Seth Curry, despite now he didn't shoot well against Washington, being nine assists, so still contributing in a lot of ways, and his gravity alone as a shooter and what he's able to do offensively clearly helps the entirety of the offense. Uh, Maxi wasn't one of his, like, Best performances, but he was solid. He had like 14 points, four assists, no turnovers, which is huge. So I just think, and again, Korkmaz, 11 points off the bench. George Yang hits a couple threes. As a team, they actually shot the three ball decently, which has not been the case at all over the last few games. And really, Jazz, I think it boils down to this. You mentioned that, you know, the Wizards are shorthanded. No Bradley Beal, no KCP. Um, you know, still don't have Rui Achimura back. He hasn't played yet this season, or Thomas Bryant. The Sixers against shorthanded teams for whatever reason have been awful. Uh, I, I can't pinpoint why you lose to Gabe Vincent in the heat or, or why, you know, the Hawks have, you know, are without Trey young and a, and a host of other guys and you, you can't beat them at home. I, I don't get it. I don't know what happened, but that changed. So as much as, yeah, you want to say, Oh, it's just the wizards and Oh, you know, they didn't have Bradley Beal considering how they had just recently played against teams that were so shorthanded. To me, it's a little bit of a statement. It was a bit, and it was on the road too, which I think is important. Coming off right the day after a holiday, the day after Christmas, so I think all of those factors make it actually a pretty nice win, um, all in all. And Joel Embiid, I mean, I, what I loved too—you mentioned the Harold uh, little spat there. He's having fun, and, and that's I think always a good sign when he is having fun when he's doing his thing when he's kind of doing the little Joel Embiid stuff, you know, waving Harold off the floor, little things like that. That's a great sign. That means he's in a really good place mentally, and I think he's probably the healthiest he has been in quite some time. So, and then the, the team as a whole, really, I, I think is as healthy as they have been since the beginning of the season at this point. What do you think of Montrez Harrell basically trying to like muscle Joel and be in the post game comments and the way he was talking, like you know, show your toughness, stand your tough. What, what did you think of all that? Because I was like, look, Montrez, it's a game. What happens on the court happens on the court. You need to maybe slow down with that. But I didn't appreciate the way he kind of said that, not like a personal way about Joel and B, but just in the way of dude, it happened in the game and let it go. Yeah. And I mean, listen, you got, <laughs> you can't talk like that after a guy dropped 36 and 14 on you and got you, you took the bait, man. You got thrown out. It was your own stupidity that got you thrown out of the game. It, it should have just ended with the tussle, right? It should have ended with that little, you know, Embiid bumps him. He tries to flop and the refs don't call it. Then he, he hog ties Embiid basically. And Embiid didn't care for it. And Embiid didn't freak out. Like he was pretty stone faced throughout the whole thing. They grabbed each other, double text. That should have been the end of it. But Harold let his emotions get the best of him. He, you know, he has the dunk on the one end and B just kind of like, okay, but okay, bro, like settle down. And then the B gets the N1 and screams N1 in his vicinity, not directly at him. And that, you know, charges Harold up. So, I mean, it, to me, it's, it's silly. It, it is. Like you said, keep it in the game, man. Like it, it happens. It's the heat of the moment. I remember, you know, back in the day when Joel and B and Russell Westbrook kind of had their back and forth. And the beat kind of said that about Westbrook, like, man, like this guy kind of just takes himself a little bit too seriously. And I think one of the things that I enjoy about covering Joel Embiid, about watching Joel Embiid and why I think the fans here gravitate towards him are like, yes, like he, he you know, especially the last couple of years, he plays hard. 
He's he's an excellent basketball player, but he has fun. And the game's supposed to be fun, right? Where it's entertainment. We're supposed to be enjoying this. And I think that's one of the things that maybe separates him from some other superstars in some ways is that, yes, he's really good. And yes, he's dominant. And yes, he wants to win. But he's also he's, he's having fun out there. And it makes the game more fun to watch. Well, it's like me and you are like, uh, Paul are like uh, Embiid and Harold. We're going to try and have fun during all this. You're taking it seriously, and I'm going to start trashing <laughs> you in our company slack after this, too. So that's, a, that's okay. Uh, you mentioned one guy during the uh, – when we were discussing kind of the, the Sixers-Wizards game, Tobias Harris. He had a nice outing, 10-16 shooting, didn't attempt a three, uh, had 23 points overall. And like you mentioned, probably be a bonus if he gets back to the level that he was playing at this season. But interesting to note, Tobias Harris hasn't scored 20 points in back-to-back games since the first two games of the season. So consistency has been a huge, huge thing for him. When you look at that, and I know, you know, there were some talk about him dealing with some serious COVID symptoms. Don't know how much that's bled over into his performance. But when you're looking at him, how important is it that the Sixers get consistency from him? Because you mentioned, and we, we all, we're all watching it, and I think anybody around the national media landscape sees just how good Joel Embiid is. You're looking at a guy who is, you know, looking at Embiid's stats since December 3rd. He's averaging 29.7 points, 10.9 rebounds. I mean, the guy's an MVP candidate, right? So when you're looking at what what Tobias Harris at least can bring, we know his limitations. We know he's not going to, you know, morph into a guy who's 25 a night and, you know, a perennial all-star type level player. But when you look at what he can get to and just the little improvements he can make to get his game back up to maybe where it was even close to last season, and obviously that's going to be easier said than done without another all-star level guy in Ben Simmons. But when you look at Tobias, what makes him more successful when he has nights like like last night where, okay, you know, he's efficient with the scoring, didn't attempt any outside shots, but again, efficient with how he was doing things. When you look at that, how do you think the Sixers can maybe, and Doc Rivers, can maybe try and get the most out of Tobias Harris in, in, in the coming months here? I think getting him just easier shots. And, you know, I don't love the fact that he didn't take threes, but I also, you know, he, he hasn't shot the three ball well, obviously, this season. He's on pace to have one of his, you know, right now, he's one of the worst three-point shooting seasons of his career ever since he really saw an uptick over that over, I guess, like five or six years ago is when he really started incorporating that into his game. Um, and it, this is just, you know, it, it's a low outing. And I think it's important, and that's a really good stat. I had not heard, I did not realize that, that it's his first 20, 20 points back-to-back since, you know, the first two games of the season. And I think it just speaks to what a rhythm player he is, and that's something we've talked about in the past a bunch. And I think not having Ben Simmons has clearly hurt him. And I think as much as that, being in and out of the lineup, you know, he had the COVID illness. Um, you know, he he had a hip injury. Then he has the flu, um, which, which kicked his butt too, from what I understand. So all of that and then the players in the lineup being in and out um, really hurt him too as well. So I think it's a... It's a really great sign that he did this two games in a row because I think this might be a sign that perhaps he's turning the corner. Now, to your question about like what kind of the difference was last night, what Tobias Harris does well and, and what I think has made him good and what made him good last year and what I think has made him good under Doc Rivers because I think that that's something that's been huge and, and I don't think that's a small thing that when Tobias has played for Doc, that's when he's played his best basketball is mismatches. And I, what Tobias Harris does well is he's a pretty strong guy. You know, he's six, eight, he's pretty, you know, he's physically built pretty well. So if he has a smaller wing on him, he needs to attack him with strength. He needs to take him into the weight room and get, you know, get to the rim and be strong. And I thought that's what he did last night. I thought he was, you know, he was tough. He was physical. A guy like Kuzma um, can't like, he just doesn't have the body, the strength to hang with a guy like Tobias Harris, uh, Denny Avia, like all, all those guys for, for Washington, just, didn't have that girth, didn't have that strength to do that. And then 
conversely, when he has maybe a, a bigger guy on him, he has a, a he's got a very good first step when he makes those quick decisions off the dribble. Um, he's got a quick step to the rim and he can get those line drive finishes and finish at the rim. Um, I thought he finished really well last night as well. I thought that was a big factor. He had a couple really nice finishes. The issue comes for Tobias is when he goes up against the guy who is similar, right? It goes up against the guy who is also maybe six, eight and is built solidly and is pretty quick. Um, you know, your Julius Randall types of guys, like when he's playing against those types of power forwards, those are the guys he tends to struggle against that can kind of match or, you know, John Collins against Atlanta, the guys that he can, that can kind of match him strength for strength and, 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 and speed for speed. Those are the players he tends to have issues with. So I think it's a matter of one, the rhythm and just getting in the flow and feeling good. And then it's also attacking mismatch, which I think the Sixers as a team um, did a better job of last night too. Like they found Joel and beat in, in really good in better spots last night. Uh, they, they attacked, you know, their guards attacked bigger players off the dribble, whether it was Maxi, whether it was Seth Curry, whomever. And uh, again, Tobias Harris, w w when he had his opportunities, he took it. And I think just them in the third quarter, they do this weird thing, Jazz. And Tobias Harris is the biggest, um, biggest person who does this. People talk about when you're moving in the flow of an offense, going from good to great, right? The Sixers, for some reason, so often go from good to exceedingly difficult. And I, I can't ever wrap my brain around it. Like, they'll get a decent look at three, and instead of just shooting it, they either put it on the deck and then take a bad two or pass. And I just... For the life of me, I'll never understand it. Tobias Harris is the worst offender. I would say Seth Curry is actually number two. Um, those two guys, and they're too good as shooters to do that. That's the issue, is that they both can knock down the... This isn't, with all due respect to Matisse Thibel, this isn't Matisse Thibel. If they're open, if they're semi-open, they got to shoot the basketball. That's it. So I thought in the third quarter, the whole team did a better job of, hey, uh, we got an open look, let's take it. You know what I mean? Or if we don't, move it. Like It's got to be quick. It's got to be... Got to be quick decisions, and I know Doc has harped on Tobias about those quick decisions, and I think that has made a huge difference for him in those last two games. And I think, again, this rhythm and, and those quick decisions are, are what's going to help him to maintain the success he's had over the last couple of games. And Paul, you, you mentioned Seth Curry, and when you're looking at him, like when he was at his best and the games that he has been at his best because, you know, he's been, I think, been a little bit more consistent than Tobias has overall this season – but you're looking at Seth Curry and, I, you know, we talked about this at camp when, when when I was in Philly that, you know, one thing that he's noticeably doing is catching and shooting a lot quicker. And and I've noticed that when, when again, when the games where he's a little bit more passive, where instead of maybe taking that shot where he has a, a second, second and a half to release it, they're overthinking it. Do you think that's more uh, an issue with Doc Rivers' system? Or do you think it's just something individually guys like Tobias and Seth have to work at in terms of being more conscious about, Hey, I got about a split second here. I'm going to have a decent look. I got to, I got to put this thing up and, and hope it goes in. Oh, it's the players. Cause doc rivers wants, <laughs> wants them to fire away. Um, and that's what was encouraging too, is, you know, Seth Curry didn't have a great shooting night, but he took eight threes and that that's a great, like if he could, I mean, I, I don't know what he is for the season. Maybe he's around five or six a game for the season that he's too good of a shooter for the number to be that low. I mean, eight is a, is a is a good number for him. I between eight and ten would be. I mean, that's like I, I think, and I think that kind of speaks to what I was talking about before with guys like and, and what you're talking about here with these quick decisions is that the Sixers over the years have just not had enough guys that just want to fire. And I think that's what you know, Furkan Korkmaz. I think it's like it's really hurt them his struggles 
because he's one of those guys that does that. He has no conscience for Kong Korkmaz. He gets the ball. It's going up. And I think the Sixers need a little bit of that. They need a little bit of guys who are just going to fire. George Niang is another one. George does not. George will fire. If that if he has a, a split second of daylight, that ball's going up. And I don't think the Sixers have enough of that. Um, and, so, and you could throw Tyrese Maxey even into that mix. And I kind of get it from his standpoint because he is kind of, you know, the quote-unquote fourth option on offense. He's the young guy. He defers a lot to the to the veteran guys. So he, he tends to also pass up some open threes. But, yeah, that's just something that they, as a team, they really need to stop doing. And, and, and um, with Seth, again, I, I'm super encouraged by that high number. And, like, I look at a guy like – you know, when we talk about all these Sixers trade rumors and all that, and like a guy like a Buddy Heald, when you see Buddy, Buddy Heald takes 10 threes a game. I'm not saying that Buddy Heald's like a great player or an all-star, but man, what the Sixers could do with a guy who takes 10 threes a game, who just fires the damn ball, especially with Joel Embiid passing out of the post. I mean, that's, that's what they need. They just need, and I think that's, what's big too is, when you're talking about Joel and how dominant he is as a post player and how much better he's become as a passer right now, he is on pace to um, shatter his, you know, career high assist per game and, you know, his lowest turnover percent uh, turnovers uh, per game in his career. So he is really evolving with those double teams and passing. He just keeps getting better and better at it. So that means when he passes out of it, guys got to make the other team pay. And the more they do that, the more they make the other team pay, the more space it gives Embiid and the more dangerous it makes you as an offense. So I was encouraged by the performance, especially in the second half in that capacity. And it just, yeah, it, it needs to continue. And it's on the players. It's not on Doc Rivers. There are shots there that they are passing up. So that's that's one trend um, that they really need to buck. And I think they didn't do it nearly as much last year as they've done it so far. So, yeah, just keep going in that direction. Well, Paul, we'll wrap up on this because you mentioned Buddy Heald. And he's been involved in trade rumors for basically the last two plus years, but, you know, potentially heading to Philly. Now we know Ben Simmons likely not coming back. And we were talking about this before we started rolling here. Uh, Woj discussed the Cleveland Cavaliers as a team that might be looking at, okay, we can try and get Ben Simmons here. Uh, the Cavs, I don't think anybody expected them to be as good as they have been to 20 and 13 on the season. Uh, have guys like Darius Garland, Colin Sexton. Evan Mobley putting together a nice, nice little rookie season there too. When you're looking at the Cavs as a potential fit, who do you think they, that you would have to? I mean, I, there's nobody on the roster. Garland, I, I like. I don't know if 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 the if uh, the Cavs would be willing to part with him in any Ben Simmons deal. But do you think that we're looking at any sort of direct package from the Cavs, or would it be something that hey, the Sixers have to look to bring in a third team? You mentioned Buddy Hield. Maybe the Sacramento Kings were struggling. You can get a guy like De'Aaron Fox. You can maybe get Halliburton and some picks. When you're looking at Cleveland as a potential suitor, how do you think that would work out if the the, the Sixers and Daryl Morey, Elton Brand, elect to, to look at things and, and put their eggs in that basket for the time being? I know Woj has mentioned it, and I have felt this way all along. It's the Ben Simmons trade. When, it when if, let's hope it's more when, um, it happens. When, please, when, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's... It's not going to be simple. It's going to be it's going to be a complex deal. It is not going to be two. It's not going to be Sixers and one other team. It's going to be three or four teams. Like it, it, I, it almost has to be. I feel like uh, in order to make it work, because as you mentioned, Cleveland really doesn't have any pieces that really do it for me, other than Garland, which there's no way I, I can't see a scenario in which Darius Garland is the return package uh, for Ben Simmons because I think what he's done there and, and the way he fits 
um, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think Ben Simmons makes a lot. I know some people might be like, ah, does Ben really make sense for Cleveland? I think he makes outstanding sense for Cleveland. Um, Cause what you do, you have him, Evan, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen defensively. And then just have, you know, Darius Garland is, is your offense kind of. And uh, you have, you know, those three guys kind of screening and rolling. And as you mentioned, Evan Mobley is actually a, a pretty nice little offensive player too. Um, he's a really, really intriguing rookie. Uh, but you put Ben Simmons in that mix. And I, and also, as you mentioned, they are playing at a much better level than any of us thought. I mean, they are really in the thick of this thing. You put Ben Simmons in there. I, I don't know. Some Sixers fans are like, oh, Ben. But no, you put a defensive player of the year candidate on that roster with a team that's already so vastly improved defensively. And you still have a guy in Darius Garland who's creating and can score. And I didn't even mention Isaac Okoro, who's, who's another really good young defensive player. Um, you've got something. Uh, you have it because defense, that's the thing. And, uh, you know, as much as our, the, the game has has for sure gone the other direction. It, it isn't. You need to be able to score to win games. Defense still, it's it travels and it works in the playoffs. Like you have to be able to defend. Um, and that's the one thing I think the Sixers also did really well last year that maybe perhaps they haven't done as well this year. They were like number one or number two defensively all season last year. That has not been the case so far. If you're Cleveland and you kind of go all in defensively, I get it. I think it makes a lot of sense. Now, when you're talking about the Sixers, Again, I, I don't see it. And I get even with the Kings, like I don't I don't see like I, I, the people I've spoken with. I, Darren Fox doesn't seem like he's a guy that the Sixers have a ton of interest in. And I sort of get it. He's a little I mean, he's a good player. I like Darren Fox. And I think his regression has more to do with him playing for the worst organization, maybe in professional sports. Um, so uh, I think he's a good player, but I think he's slightly redundant with Tyrese Maxey. I don't think he's a very good defender, so I just don't think he would be. And I don't think he's a great fit next to Joel Embiid, quite frankly. So I don't see any clean scenarios with with either a Cleveland or a Sacramento or even like, you know, Minnesota is a team that's been talked about a lot. Indiana, a lot of these teams that really like Ben just don't match up well. So that's why I think it's got to be three. It's got to be four teams. Um, we actually just did a thing over Christmas. It was myself. It was Steve Lippin and, and Jackson Frank where it was all I want for Christmas is to get this player back in a Ben Simmons deal. Um, and, and, you know, we kind of threw out, we threw out a, an under the tree trade, which is you get the star back. You have a stocking stuffer, which is you just get a, you know, a good, a good package back. And then a lump of coal, which is just bad trade. So, um, which you is know, what you got, you got with me, Paul, when I, when I signed up with $80, right? So that's okay. No, yeah. no, that's yeah. It's the opposite. Yeah. You are the gift that keeps on giving the whole year around. No. Um, yeah. I, I, a guy that I really I, I'm intrigued by as, as part of it. He's not a headliner of a package, but a guy I like as part of it is in Atlanta. There are rumors that Cam Reddish might be available. He is a big wing. He's got some offensive potential as a shot creator. He can shoot the basketball very well. Um, bringing him in here to add kind of, you know, with all, maybe he kind of replaces Thibault in the starting lineup, or maybe you bring him off the bench and he, he gives you some added scoring punch off the bench. You know, he takes over for those, Korkmaz um, minutes, which all due respect to Furkan Korkmaz, I think Reddish would, I think anyone would consider that an upgrade, uh, especially on the defensive end. So I think a guy like that, get somehow finding a way to snake the Hawks into that trade deal to bring Reddish here along with whatever you get, whether that's a buddy healed or whether that's, you know, if you can finally wrangle that star player, what, what have you. Um, I, I think Reddish is a guy that makes a lot of sense. Financially, it, it might be a little tough going forward. He is extension eligible all that boring cap stuff. So, but I think he's a guy who makes them better now. 
and has potential to be more if you can get creative with the salary cap. So, yeah, I, I think, the, like I said, I don't, I don't know that there's any team that is a clean fit for Sixers, you know, for a one-on-one to one Ben Simmons deal. But the, uh, with getting a third team involved in some of those other pieces, it's going to be really interesting to see um, kind of what that final deal looks like because I think it's going to be super complex and it's going to be something that maybe none of us actually see coming. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I was going to say that there too, is that, you know, it's like the Russell Westbrook, John Wall thing. Nobody saw that coming. I'm not comparing them to Ben. I'm not comparing the situations at all, but I think it's going to be one of those. Cause we've talked about Damian Lillard, you know, since June, right. Since June 20th, when the Sixers lost game game seven, it's just been like, okay, could that be a potential fit in a Ben Simmons deal looking far less likely now than it was two months ago that, that a Damian Lillard trade will materialize. But you look at it and it's like, we discussed Bradley Beal. I hadn't signed that extension yet with the Wizards. But there might just be, because the reality is going to start setting in for a few NBA teams about their expectations for the season. We're getting into the new year now. Um, you pretty much will know if you're a playoff team, a contender or not. And I think that we're going to see maybe a, a team make a move and be like, you know what? Let's just move this guy right now. We can get a 25-year-old all-star in Ben Simmons. And like you mentioned, figure out the rest of the, of the stuff around it. Because, again, I wouldn't be surprised if the Sixers, like you mentioned, you're looking at a 14 trade where the Sixers take, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Cam Reddish and then a, a few first round picks and then make another deal. Like, I think this is going to be a very complex situation. I'm just thankful that the trade deadline is coming up less than two months from now. So hopefully we never have to discuss this, either if the trade is completed before then or after that. We could just focus on some basketball. Paul, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, anything you want to add you're working on specifically for Liberty Ballers that people should keep an eye out for? Uh, nothing's nothing, uh, imminent on the table right now, but yeah, I mean, I got my podcast coming up on Wednesday and I'm trying to line up a good guest because you know what? I am, uh, not had any good guests so far since I've been, uh, doing my thing on the coming in for a landing podcast, uh, since Liberty Ballers, uh, since I linked up with Liberty Ballers. So yeah, uh, I know a lot of cool people. I know a lot of, you know, and they know an awful lot about basketball. So definitely trying to do more of that on my Wednesday podcast. And other than that, we are just covering the rest of this road trip, Toronto Wednesday, Brooklyn on Friday and or Brooklyn on Thursday. I care. Thursday, I can't keep Thursday, yeah. Toronto, Toronto Tuesday, Brooklyn yeah. Thursday. There it is. Uh, so yeah. And I think too, jazz, one thing I think Sixers fans need to look forward to is this December schedule. When you look back on it, not even, you know, health protocols withstanding was a brutal schedule month for the Sixers. January is a lot softer. They play a lot more games at home. So um, as you mentioned, as these guys, as they're getting healthy, as guys are coming out of the protocols, January is a really good time for the Sixers to make a run. So we'll see if they do that. Oh, we'll see. And, and just as a reminder, Paul, I did come on your podcast, but I guess I don't constitute as a cool <laughs> guest, but that's okay. Now we'll wrap things up here. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Just so you know, we'll be doing this every Monday at noon. Uh, you can check us out through our Twitter page. Hope we get this out to linked up to our, our, our YouTube account as well. We'll keep you posted on that. And like Paul mentioned, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your fix. You name it, we are there. We basically got five shows coming at you guys that are brand new uh, each week. And like we said, we'll be doing this every week, just catching up on Sixers. Hope we will start implementing some comments, but we'll, we'll be getting more into that as we get into the new year. I want to thank everybody for joining us. He's Paul Hudrick. I'm Jazz Kang. We'll catch up with you all next time. Thank you.